Good evening and welcome to the show. This is The Third Eye. You listen to the Radio Blue Mountains 89.1, episode 14. Tonight, our special guest is Lowell Tarling. Lowell lives in the Blue Mountains, New South Wales. He paints, teaches and writes for a living. He's a song poet, and we'll talk about the difference between that and poet and songwriter, and has an impressive book library. Not like those faux strategically placed book collections we see on modern Zoom and TV interviews. Lowell is very well read and has released over 22 books. You can also check out Lowell's paintings at Gallery 188 in Katoomba Street, which is New South Wales, Australia. For those listening overseas, welcome. Okay, we'll be back shortly. before we start called Osiris.
Alrighty, that was Osiris. Can, done at Song Cave Studios down in Lawson. Alrighty. A little anecdote from about Woody Guthrie. When Woody Guthrie was checking into a hospital, he was asked his religion, and he said, all of them. And they said, I'm sorry, we can't accept that, sir. To which he said, okay, none of them. <laughs> Lowell, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, very well, Elliot. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, Woody Guthrie, a bit of a fan? Uh, very much so. And also um, Arlo, of course, who we've seen up here in Katoomba. Yep. And Sarah, who we've seen in Katoomba, he, Arlo's daughter. So, yeah. It's the, a great spot for it, isn't it? Yeah, the Clarendon and then the music festival. Mm. Brilliant. And did you get to meet them, any of them? I did. I met um, Arlo and, uh, and Sarah, yes, yeah, sure. I nearly ran Arlo over, actually, when he was crossing the road near Vinnie's. I think he was walking along Katoomba Street and not looking. And it was <laughs> raining. Maybe I wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> and you met after the fact? or <laughs> You yes. said I nearly ran you over? <laughs> <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I wanted to um, relate. There was a, a particular... Um, you're, uh, you wrote a biography on Tiny Tim. I did. I knew Tiny pretty well. Yeah, right. So, so and, and he, he was uh, a New Yorker, wasn't he, with a Lebanese background, is that right? Uh, that's right, yeah, yeah. Um, it must have been a religious war in his house because his mother was the daughter of a rabbi yep. and his father was the son of a Maronite Christian from Lebanon. So... A little bit of conflict there, possibly. Yeah, a little bit of conflict, but they—I think they were atheists anyway. I don't know. And Tiny got a, an interest in religion that completely baffled both sides of the family. He—he he had a, like a, um, a a really, really quite a self-deprecating view of himself, and as I gather, and had a healthy scepticism and cynicism about life. Like I remember one of his quotes. I can't remember the exact words. Was um, he said, oh, of course it's better to be married unhappily a hundred times instead of happily living in sin. It sounds like Tiny, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, um, he um, uh, became Tiny Tim after trying to become Derry Dover and Larry Love and Texarkana Tex. So he, he just didn't like Herbert Corey. So he tried all, of the, all through the 50s. He hardly made a bean. Mm -hmm. And then uh, his manager, George King, said, how about Herbert Buckingham? Um, Corey? Corey? Um, no, what was it? Um, Herbert, um, Tiny Buckingham. Tim, he had some weird English line on it. Mm -hmm. And Tiny just couldn't get onto the English accent. Yeah. And so he said, OK, it's just Tiny Tim. <laughs> and away he went, straight to the top of the charts. <laughs> it, it sounds like a really interesting read. What's the name of the book? Um, um, Tiny Tim. It's probably uh, should have been called Tiny Tim in Australia, but because that was where I knew him best. Although I have been to his place in New York, but he um, but he told me his story about how he grew up and how he loved the comics and loved all the B-grade movies and he. Frank Sinatra and all those things he loved. 
And people, if they would like a copy of the book, online, Amazon? Amazon. That's an Amazon one. Okay. Yep, no publisher wanted it. Okay, fantastic. Self-published, is it? Uh, yes, I put that one on Amazon. Good on you. But Fan. my other books, are, I've got um, other publishers, yeah. Yep. Because it's a, 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 quite, quite a big span of time you've been um, pen to paper, haven't you? Yeah, I became a writer in 1980. Mm. What drove you to that? Um, Inspired you? Um, I got a literature grant. And so I, that which sort of saved me really because I was a school teacher before that, a wannabe sociologist. And then after school teaching, um, I had a year where I w- worked on a, a fishing boats. I don't really want to talk about the fishing okay. boats. I wasn't very good at it. And the literature grant kind of saved me, you know, got me out of that. Oh, it was so frightening catching shark and things like that. I'm, the wrong guy for that. We might be able to talk about fishermen a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All fishes of men. Okay. okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Now, th- there was a particular song of Tiny Tim's that float your boat. Sorry, pardon the pun. But it was um, that old feeling. What's special about this song? I just think it's just a, a, a lovely, lovely song. He plays his ukulele and... Uh, and sings sings beautifully. It's produced by Bucks Burnett from Texas, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's lovely. Okay, fantastic. I'll just pop that on now. That old feeling by Tiny Tim. Okay, if you bear with me, I'm going to catch the beginning of that. I saw you last night. And got that old feeling When you came inside I got that old feeling The moment you came by I felt a thrill And when you caught my eye My heart stood still once again I seem to have an old yearning And I knew the spark of love was still burning There'll be no new romance for me It's foolish to start For that old feeling is still in my heart I saw you last night And got that old feeling When you came inside I got that old feeling The moment you came by I felt a thrill And when you caught my eye, my heart stood still. Once again I seemed to have that old yearning. And I knew the spark of love was still burning. There'll be no new romance. 
place to start for that old feeling is still in my heart. All righty, that was Tiny Tim with that old feeling. And you're listening to The Third Eye with Elliot Reynolds and our special guest, Lowell Tarling. Welcome back, Toll. Lowell? Whoops. <laughs> Tongue-tied Elliot. Okay. <laughs> yes. All righty. So in your bio, it also says you're not a poet. You're a song poet. What do you mean by that? Um, I suppose it's a little bit of a cop-out because my poems, 95% of them rhyme. And so if I were to say I was a poet, I might get laughed out of town. But if I call them song poems then I feel I get away with them more. But some friends of mine have have written a lot of tunes to my poems. Not that they've gone anywhere with them or made them hits, but they've written them and played them to me and sent me a tape, look what I've done. And and it's sort of nice in the study to play. Are they pretty faithful to keeping the lyrics the same or you find sometimes there's a bit of licence you...? Uh, They are pretty faithful. but I don't mind them changing things at all. Sometimes I think you just have to because, you know, just scan to make it work in with the interesting lick you've just worked out on the Yeah, guitar. right, yep. You'd know something about that, would you, Elliot? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's interesting. There being a big difference between a song and a poem, isn't there? It is, you know, certain things, uh, certain devices, like rhyme doesn't, isn't so necessary in a song as... Sometimes it can be in poetry, but then again, you get some poets that don't don't rhyme at all either, you know, right. <laughs> and that can work as well. Right. But um, there's, uh, you know, like funny devices like enjambment, you know, with that run on lines and things like that. And sometimes you're thinking, well, ha- how would a singer cope with that? They'd be running out of breath, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have a poem for us. Oh, okay. Would you, please? Yes, okay. Um, This one's called The Good Man. If you call in the morning, don't be afraid to wake me. I've been up since dawning, thinking just wherever my thoughts take me. I have tried to read my way into paradise. I have tried, really tried to understand the ingredients that are needed in a man to really make him a man. I will not plead confusion. I will never, ever say that hope has gone. I am under no delusion. I'm not lost. I'm never lost, but I'm so often wrong. There's a child, says he's my child, on the pavement. There's a girl, looks like my wife, smiling at me. The reflection of salvation lives in every person that I meet. I'm a coward for crucifixion. In my body there's no drop of martyr's blood. If I'm bound for annihilation, I'm afraid you've got to send the bill to God. I have read every single kind of Bible and I've tried 
really tried to understand the ingredients that are needed in my life to really make a good man. Thank you. Wow, that's beautiful. There's that line in there about the girl is, to me, I, I had this response to it that was whenever we look at somebody, it's whether with love or disdain or whatever sort of feeling we're sort of throwing out is that person could be my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my, my, my kids. You know what I mean? And it's sort of like it's, um, it's almost an invitation to reframe our thoughts on people. Anyway, that's what I sort of took away from, from, from those lines. And oh, was... good. That's good, yes. The child is um, on the pavement. It reminded me of the children of God, actually, that cult that was on the streets in the 70s. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that was that sort of reference, and I think, I think you explained very well the girl that looks like my wife, you know, and salvation in all these people. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe salvation mightn't be the right word. It might be the third eye in all those people. Hey, nicely put. <laughs> <laughs> um, th there was another line in there which was, um, I've read every single kind of Bible and I've tried, really tried to understand the ingredients that are needed in my life to make a good man. Every, every single kind of Bible, uh, my, my takeaway was, that's more a metaphor. It could be the Bhagavad Gita. It could be the New World Translation of the Bible. It could be the King James Version. It could be... Uh, no, it's not the New World Translation. Okay. Believe me. <laughs> but the other ones, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> yes, the King James yeah. Version. The Upanishads. The Tao Te Ching. The Gnostic Gospels that have been left out. They, I'm just... I just like reading them. Yeah. I, I don't really know why. I don't profess to understand. In fact, if I don't understand, I tend to keep reading. I read the Quran and that was... I wanted to read it from start to finish. Yeah. Because I just hear all these people expressing opinions on the Quran. And I've read all of the Bible from start to finish. And when I hear people talking, sometimes I feel like saying, have you read it? Have you read all of it? Mm. So that's why I do that. So one of the strange things I've found that's very quite confronting is uh, what I term cherry pickers. They'll right. pick little pieces that they like and they agree with and that goes with their, their ethos or their understanding of the world but anything that doesn't fit into that box, whether it be an Old Testament phrase or something like that, uh, say there was one about divination in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and, and how evil it can be in the Christian point of view. Whereas at the same time, just a couple of uh, paragraphs away, it says, well, you shouldn't cut the ringlets from your hair. Right. And then, and, and, or you shouldn't wear two different kinds of uh, material on, in your clothing, That's you know. Right. And, it's, yes, and yes. I think, how can people take one and, well, if you're going to take one, take them all. If you're going to take the book... That's the book. And I think that what you're referring to with divination is the Bible says that people who practice that should actually be stoned or killed. Well, to the Christians, 
um, really believe in the Bible, they should be stoning and killing homosexuals and and um, people who um, make make it with animals or practice divination. And why the hell would you have to tell people not to do it with animals? Yeah, right. You know, what sort of people are these that you've got to say, don't do it with your animals? Yep, yep. To most of us, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so there's a – the thing I was sort of getting up with was the, the, the cherry picking, you know, where people can yeah. sort of and, – and, and I find it's uh, quite confronting, you know, sort of uh, because I, 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 I do uh, really, really love the tarot and I've sort of talked about and had some d- dedicated programs on the third eye towards the tarot and um, so can, I mean it can be used almost uh, similarly to like a Rorschach test uh, you know right. with, with the blobs on a page and you yep. interpret it going that's a bear or that's a person or, or, or that's a book with a blob of paint on it you know yes, <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. and it's uh, sometimes that can open a wonderful conversation and I find the tarot can, can help with that you know every picture contains a thousand words doesn't it yeah I, and I think what you're saying is it's perfect, actually. I think that's the, its best use to open up conversations and direct people to, you know, in certain certain ways. Yes. Yeah. Whereas so, sometimes, and I'm not demeaning it, but if somebody comes and asks the tarot, you know, will I meet a tall dark stranger on the 21st of June? It's, it's. Um, I, I, I think the stereotyping, you, you know, the, the you know, a, a myth. Of you know a lot of uh, tarot readers. Anyway, let's let's move on. So we've got a um, uh, our next um, song is "Smoke Dreams of You" by Captain Matchbox. Can you tell us a little bit about this tune? Uh, the Captain Matchbox Whoopee Band um, was fronted by Mick and Jim Conway, and Mick Conway has since. Recently moved to Katoomba, and um, and uh, his band um, after Captain Matchbox became the National Junk Band, which is often played in Katoomba. So he's got a lot of fans here. But Smoke Dreams really caught my attention when I first heard it in 1970 or 71, um, because he he's like a crooner or, or something. He, you know, reminds me of what Tiny's doing. Yeah. And um, so I thought it was a wonderful song. And I'm sure that um, one day Mick will tell you an anecdote about how the songwriter contacted him over Smoke Dreams. So, yeah. All righty. Here's Smoke Dreams by Captain Matchbox.
Watching smoke rise, clouding my eyes. I see your face forming out of the blue. Sad and lonely, all on my own with smoke dreams. Smoke Dreams by Captain Matchbox. Fantastic. Good choice, Lowell. Reference to uh, Paradise Lost in there. And and actually that precedes Tom Waits, doesn't it? That sort of uh, gravelly voice tone. Yeah, sure does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm going to listen to that song again and again. That's brilliant. Love it. All righty. It's two past nine, three past nine on the third eye. 
the three and three. Love those numbers. Justin, um, I don't think we need to go into the news at this point. Live traffic. Looks like traffic is flowing nicely up the mountain and down the mountain. So that's all looking good. Uh, transport, I believe there's probably still some problems down uh, at Central Station with um, escalators out and lifts out because of some work that's going on. Other than that, all track work is, uh, looks uh, to be as normal. Fires near me, I don't think the fires have a chance at the moment, but anyway, touch wood. All right, the um, weather, 16.6 degrees now, and uh, tonight uh, probably a low of 13 out to sort of from here to Lithgow, and tomorrow looks like a, it'll be an average about or a top of 26 degrees. All righty, that's the third eye. This is Elliot Reynolds, and we're with Lowell Tarling. From what you've experienced, if certain, what I see as illuminating brotherhoods and sisterhoods, such as Gnostics, Theophysists, um, Freemasons, uh, ladies who are members of the Order of the Eastern Star and things like that, if, if groups like that disappeared tomorrow... Druids. Druids, yep. And Hermeticists. If they disappeared tomorrow, I think most people wouldn't miss them. But I really truly feel deep in my heart that the world would have lost something pretty special and unique. Is the occult, let's have a look at the definition of this, that, that it, which is hidden from the eye, oculus, um, is the occult dangerous in your point of view? No, it's not. I think, um, I think it can be manipulated by certain people, um, um, but if it's used openly and honestly, I can't see how it can possibly be dangerous. I mean, at, at the end of Alice in Wonderland, um, when Alice just comes to her senses and she just looks around her into this situation she's in, she just says, you're just a pack of cards. And how can you be, how can cardboard be dangerous, a pack of cards? How can that be dangerous? Um, um, I feel, I, I, one of the, one, the books I've just recently read is um, A Magician Amongst the Spirits, written by um, Houdini, um, really for his friend Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, mm -hmm. who, as you know, was very much into the occult and spiritism and... Um, wrote Sherlock Holmes and... Wrote Sherlock Holmes, yep. but he's also written books on fairies. In fact, in fact, his occult writings are what he wanted everyone to read and he really got sick of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> he killed Sherlock Holmes. Leave me alone with Sherlock Holmes, you know. Um, read my book on fairies and, of course, everyone just laughed at him for the for that side of him but Houdini wrote this book and and he actually explained everything that he'd seen and he'd gone to a lot of seances and he said there was nothing that he couldn't do in this that happened in the seance so how can that be possibly be dangerous um the other thing about seances is I feel the um the information that's tabled isn't is known by it's 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 brought to the table by the participants. Mm -hmm. So new information isn't presented. Like if you're writing your family history, you can't sort of go, 
oh, I think I'll just call up mum and say, oh, look, what, what was the name of that school or what year did that happen, mum? Yep. That doesn't happen. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's far from dangerous and in many instances I think it, it's, it's, it can work for the good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at its best, yeah. Now, I was watching one of those documentaries on YouTube the other night and it was about the ectoplasm uh, phenomena. You know, where people sort of like have this, this uh, steamy or frothy material that comes out of their mouth. Um, but as soon as somebody, it, as soon as light hits it or somebody takes a flash from a camera, it jumps back in the person and apparently causes a lot of pain. Have you heard about this kind of phenomena? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thoughts? Oh, well, uh, well, Houdini explained it with great cynicism. So, you know, that's, I, I don't know anything other than what I read in that book about it, really. So was, was what Houdini... Th- what do you think about it? Um, I, I haven't seen it personally. And at the same time, I haven't been involved in a seance to date. I, from what I understand of Houdini was that I sort of have a, a respect for what he was trying to do as with James Randi. They were sort of, who recently passed in 2020... They were both almost magicians or illusionists yes. that were at the same time able to remove a lot of the hogwash and the snake oil from an industry that was uh, fleecing people of money. Uh, yet at the same time, I think there's also the possibility that things like uh, whether it's runes or tarot or crystal balls or things like that have validity whereas at the same time if they're used for cheap tricks like trying to you know cold or hot read somebody you know like uh yeah, sometimes you have those people that they might do a reading with uh maybe a, a couple of hundred people or group of people and they say over here there's the letter l's coming out you know and it's sort of like oh yeah my dad's no. name's lowell you know but right. at the same time if you look back five ten minutes before in the foyer when people were serving tea and coffee, right. there were a couple of people planted li- overhearing exactly. conversations. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that's what I mean by the sort of hot or cold reading. It's sort of yes. like a, yes. a book that was um, came out in the 1950s I have called Mentalism. And it talks of that phenomena, which is uh, that, that, the fraud, fraud of that kind of thing. And... Um, but at the same time, it would be interesting uh, when people were talking of, uh, say, Ouija boards was an, only a game that came out in the eight, late 1800s, wasn't it? And the, it's recently been proven that it's a scientific phenomena um, that can be proven that I think they, that in, in the university test, they, they got a group of people in the room and had the electrodes placed on their head and... Funnily enough, the Ouija board was answering all their questions. And at the same time, but nobody honestly within the group said they were deliberately pushing the the handle towards the letter or the number or whatever to spell out the answer to the querent or the question. But once they then blindfolded all the people at the table, the the information piece went off, off... you know, off the board onto the, ta- onto the actual physical table and was just a nonsense answer. So there was a visual cue and there was a certain part of the brain that was active that was driven by the subconscious in each subject right. that was very mildly pushing it, but not, the person, the people weren't aware. And once there was a little almost uh, negligible nudge of the thing in a certain direction, the people followed it. 
And so the Ouija board was found to be uh, almost like a power of suggestion thing rather than anything of magical or divine or satanic uh, influence, which, which, which is quite interesting, you know, like... Um, no, it's certainly not satanic. It's a, it's, a bit, it's a bit of wood with letters on it. You know? Yeah, that's I mean, right. Seriously. What is there to be frightened of? But, but I had an experience with a Ouija board that I can't explain. Yep. I really just cannot explain how it, it, it worked out and it, it gave... It was most articulate, but we weren't blindfolded either. We were awfully young and uh, I think I'm pretty sceptical about most things but at the same time I think all of us uh, have had experiences we can't explain. Yep. And that Ouija board experience was one I can't explain and then I've had one other experience that I just cannot understand how that happened. Hmm. And um, do you want me to... Talk about yes, it. Yes, please. That'd be wonderful. Um, a friend of mine was... Oh, this happened uh, in the early 80s. And a friend of mine was working. We were building. And, uh, and he was working for us. And um, there was a motor. Um, one of those motors to get the water to go uphill. What do you call those things? Anyway, it was a motor. Like a small motor. Mm-hmm. You had to plug it into the electricity to make it work. Anyway, so he did the work, went home. Me and my wife went to bed. He got unbelievably drunk and drove home and died. The police came to her house, blah, 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 all that stuff happened. Me and my wife went to back to bed, you know, in tears. And then... The motor came on and I went down to the power point and I saw that it was switched off. But the motor was working and I couldn't stop it. I had to pull the plug out and then it stopped. And I just can't explain, and neither can my wife, how that could possibly happen, that surge of power Mm -hmm. just coming through something that's turned off. Yeah, right. I don't know. That's it. It was uh, my father, uh, Ron Reynolds, uh, talks of uh, something that happened to him. And he's told me this again and again since I was a child. And he's a bloke I trust. And he said he was up mining near Tennant Creek in 1960, 59, 60. And he said uh, the camp, he and his mates were camping it and was probably, um, you know, maybe... 80, 90 miles away from town. And on the Saturday night, they all went into town to have a few drinks. And the road back home was just uh, the red dirt, you know, as it is out in the, in the territory. And, and a corner goes for 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> kind right. of thing. Okay. And he said uh, he fell asleep in the back of the car and his two mates were in the front with the, the bench seat. And Dad woke up suddenly... You know, this is one, two o'clock in the morning while they're probably driving something like a hundred mile an hour back through the desert, back to their camp. And he said he woke up startled and saw a man yelling out the window, like as they flashed past, to slow down and stop. And Dad motioned to, to the driver. He said, "Slow down, slow down." And the, the car had slowed down 
and just enough time on that dirt road that they were able to control the vehicle as they came around the bend, there was a truck that had hit a bullock and there was debris and the poor beast was everywhere. But at the same time, if they'd hit it at the speed they had, all three would have died. And the, um, the gentleman who was driving the truck was standing there and said, well, lucky you boys slowed down. And, uh, and Dad said, well, lucky you put your mate back there to, to warn us. And he said, what mate? Right. You know, and it's things like that that I honestly believe there's something more than we can touch, hear, smell, taste... Some people call it God or the all or Krishna or, you know, it's, I have a faith in something that drives me and I've been through a time in my life quite a while ago where I was atheist and um, it's certain little things have happened to me that have, 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 have changed me and I just try and keep an open mind on it now, which right, is good right. and hence being on the show. right. Well, I don't know what I am, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to put a label on ourselves. All righty. Um, that, that brings us to um, our next tune, which is Miss Otis Regrets by Lonnie Donegan. What can you tell us about this one, Lol? Um, well, Lonnie Donegan was um, probably the first person that people in England, in London, where I grew up, saw fronting a band with a guitar. So that's before Bill Haley, before Elvis. People were used to guitarists and Lonnie Donegan did play in a jazz band. They were up the back. Yep. And other things happened in the front. Mm -hmm. And when Lonnie Donegan got up with Rock Island Line, which is the first recognised skiffle song, and fronted the band with the guitar, a young Pete Townsend just looked at that and he looked at his father playing the sax and he just went, mate, Lonnie Donegan, that's the future. <laughs> yeah, right. You know? Yep. And, and, then, um, and then the skiffle cra- craze took over. But how that situation arose was that um, Lonnie was playing in a band, um, Ken Collier's jazz band and also Chris Barber's jazz band, but then... In the interval, they had, what do you call it, a breakdown band where a couple of people... Oh, yeah. ..be like your band, Sideshow Annie, Annie, and then there's interval and you get up with Gillian and you just... ..the two of you... Like an intermission the, support yeah, slot Yeah, you two do the interval yep. and the others do whatever they want. Yep. And then the band's back. Yep. And so the breakdown band was Lonnie Donegan... Yeah. ..and then somebody on bass and somebody... Gradually, they got the washboard in, and that became. And then suddenly, people were more interested in that than they were in the band. And wow! Then Lonnie Donegan became a, a star, and then, but then rock and roll just came right on the heels of Lonnie Donegan. Yep. And um, anyway, people remember him because of these gimmick songs that he did later, "Mile Man's Dustman" and "Chewing Gum Loses Flavor." But honestly, he is much, much better than that. There's a lot more depth. A lot. <laughs> okay. All right. Here is Miss Otis Regrets by Lonnie Donegan. Now, Miss Otis Regrets, she's unable to lunch today. Madam, 
cigarettes She's unable to lunch today She is sorry to be delayed But last evening down in the lover's lane She strayed It's Otis regrets She's unable to lunch today When she woke up and found Her dream of love was gone Madam She ran to the man Who had led her so far astray That was Miss Otis Regrets by Lonnie Donigan. Fantastic. You're listening to The Third Eye. I'm Elliot Reynolds and we're with Lowell Tarling. We're just having a chat about occult organisations and things like that. Ouija boards. Just after the break, we're going to be back and we're going to talk, is the Bible still the truth without the Gnostic texts? RBM 89.1. You're listening to The Third Eye. Thanks for joining us tonight on this wonderful, well, it's a rainy... Sunday evening here in Katoomba, which is, uh, it's been quite the summer for it, hasn't it? Which is a little bit uh, of the opposite of what we had last year with all the fires. So sort of a bit grateful to have this rain. We're with Lowell Tarling. Lowell, uh, just from the reading you've done, uh, I know you and I don't profess to be experts on on these sort of things, but I I think you you have a a little bit of uh, insight on maybe some of the Gnostic texts and just for the listener, why, what are the Gnostic texts and why, why weren't they included in the modern Christian Bible, say? Well, at the Council of Nicaea, they had a vote and put all your hands up who say the Gospel of Thomas is in. Uh, when did it, no, sorry, didn't make the count. Mark, yep, everyone's hands go up. St Paul's writings, everyone, yeah. Well, he, St Paul's got in because, which is basically his mail, the epistle, the letter. So St Paul's mail got in because it was the earliest, um, closest to, you know, the time of Christ, the earliest documents that they had. 
um, I think there's a gospel called the Gospel of Q, which was probably the teachings of Christ, which got lost. But we know that it existed because if you look at the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew and distill it, you'll find there's 350 or something verses that are identical in one from the other, Mm -hmm. which suggests that they were copying from the same source. But that one got lost and none of the Gospels were written in Christ's time. So St Paul's stuff was the earliest stuff and then when they had a vote, the book of Revelation nearly didn't get in. It's just scraped in. Yeah, right. And um, and then the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary and the Gospel of Barnabas and all those other ones, they um, they didn't make the cut. Um, so, so when was the Council of Nicaea? Um, about 325. Okay, yep. Common era, yeah. And at the time was what, what the modern-day Catholic Church, was it, and sort of made the decision, or the Pope at the time? The bishops. The bishops. So they brought in all the bishops. They had a vote. Yep. And then they decided, well, what's, what is Christ? And then the people who said that he was God won. And the people who said that he was not God but made God, that mm-hmm. was the big argument there. Was he actually God, very God, or was he... A man who became a god. That yep. was the big argument. And the guys who said that he'd become a god lost. And so they were heretics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of this um, arguing goes on to this day, doesn't it? Uh, uh, yes, yes, very much, yes. I, I've noticed sometimes the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll come to the door and and we'll start talking about John 1.1 1, 1, and they say uh, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God or the Word was God. They're mm-hmm. going, oh, no, it had a, it, it had a lowercase g. And we, but I, I sort of argue, well, but where in the, in the Greek does, does, in the Subtuagent, where, where does it have an uppercase or lowercase? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, you know what I mean? Like, like I think a lot of people take a, quite a bit of licence to make it read the way they want to read it. Uh, yes, and there's some things in the in the Gnostic texts that wouldn't suit the modern Christian church at all. And one of them was St Peter get, got sick of Jesus kissing Mary mm-hmm. and he, he actually said, I mean, this is pretty offensive, he said, look, will you stop kissing her? Women have no right to live. Wow. Yeah, that's St Peter. Um, and then there's an, an, another section where Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, um, saw a kid acting up and just went and just killed him, just dropped dead. Yeah. Um, there's evidence to show that Mary was barely pubescent. Um, now, some of, these, some of these Gnostic texts are, are clear forgeries and some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the Gospel of Barnabas is a forgery. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've all got our own opinions on that. Yep, and, uh, yep. and it's just the way I feel. But I, I think some of the Gnostic texts are better than the ones that made the cut, actually. Mm. Because I think even looking at the history of some of the, 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 the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, n- nobody can prove really beyond shadow of a doubt they're actually written by those four people. Oh, well, see, the thing is, copyright laws weren't what they are now. And so what you could say 
back in the day at the local radio station in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. And it's their Elliot show and Lola's going to read a poem. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I say, well, I'm going to read a poem now by Shakespeare. And really, you know and I know that I wrote it. It's like I'm channeling Shakespeare and I'm going to read you this poem yep. that I've written. Mm-hmm. But I was, I've, I've put Shakespeare's name to it because it's in the spirit of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So the people who were writing it were taking on the persona of... Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or whoever. It was just just a form of dealing with it. Yeah. So say the, the, say the book of Philip or the book of Thomas. Did, to your knowledge, did they actually appear again in 1947 when the young fella was throwing stones with his mates into a cave in Jordan, wasn't it? And they found what is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls? No, they're not in the Dead Sea Scrolls, those ones, no. The Dead Sea Scrolls are something else. They're the texts from the Qumran. Right. The Qumran community. um, And they don't mention Jesus at all. So you've got um, the Nag Hammadi texts. Yep. And then you've got... That was the 50s, wasn't it? The Nag Hammadi was found. Yep. And then there's a bunch of them in a... You know, I've got on the cover... The Forgotten Books of Eden. Mm -hmm. Um, But they've probably got a more, you know, archaeological name than that. Yeah. Um, I'm rather fond of the Book of Nicodemus because when Jesus died, he went down. It's real drama, you know. You could stage it better. Yeah. It's much better staged than the the Gospels. He goes down and faces up to Satan and has it out with Satan and goes back up to the Father and so he's going up and down. Lots of drama. It's a... It's a great, it's a great book. Nicodemus. Wow! If you're going to make a film about Jesus, um, Mel Gibson, um, <laughs> read Nicodemus, man. You know. For sure. <laughs> so, the, the the takeaway from this is that if I was to follow uh, a Christian path, I would possibly block off the Gnostic texts, or would I do myself uh, more of a service by at least investigating them to try and find out the truth. Well, I think I I don't really go along with organised religion, mm-hmm. so I kind of think that everyone should make up their own religion. Fair enough. So I think should, everyone should investigate everything and certainly investigate the Gnostic texts and the Ouija board and the tarot and whatever, and whatever works for you. Not everything works for everyone. Mm. And um, I'm not sure anything works for me, but I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to find out, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, or at least uh, investigate. I've, I've found, found, Lowell, it's been interesting across the years, or my years, is to uh, follow a line of inquiry until it proves itself invalid or wrong and then look at others. Anyway, that's the way I've sort of like I found a good way to do it. Is it and if, if something really, really doesn't add up, sort of put it on the back burner and go, I'll, I'll revisit that You're later. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I really do believe Jesus existed. Yeah, for sure. I also believe... He's it. in Roman records too, isn't he? Uh, no, no, uh, is it not? No, in the... Uh, there's, there's a... He's in, in Josephus and uh, I think it's a, a forgery. Really? Uh, yeah, I do think that. It's um, it's sort of like, and there was this terrific person called Jesus who lived. So it's it just, 
It just jumps out. So the Roman record doesn't have any record of his crucifixion? It's it's a Jewish record. Okay. Yeah, Not, not the Roman record. I mean, Pontius Pilate probably wouldn't have even noticed Jesus on that day. I mean, he crucified about 350 people on the day he crucified Christ. Busy day. A busy day. So the idea of his wife coming up and having a vision and saying, stop this guy and so on, he'd be going, what guy? You know, there's 350 of them. Who are you talking about? Yep. But I do believe Jesus existed, but I also believe in King Arthur. I believe Merlin. I mm-hmm. believe in Ulysses. Because otherwise, what, what, what's everyone writing about? King Arthur, French, English, where? Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's debatable. I, I, th- I think he was a Celtic king, but some of the, um, the, um, the legends came from Brittany. Mm-hmm. The Lancelot stories came from Brittany. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I personally think that King Arthur, I don't know about Camelot, I don't know what that is, but I think his castle was at Tintagel in Cornwall. Yeah, right, okay. And I think he was a, a pre-Christian king myself but but they didn't write fiction in those days really you know it wasn't until daniel defoe wrote mole flanders and you know all those sorts of things that the people really got into writing fiction and novels in those days they were documenting a lot by word of mouth uh, and embellishing Mm -hmm. um, the stories that were around that they wanted to pass on yeah, right. There was a place when I was over in the UK with my family. We went down and we saw Stonehenge, of course. And then we went to a, the um, Glastonbury. The, right. And we went to a, a, a little... Um, we were just, just walking around and, and taking the place in. And we walked into one of these little old local churches, probably a thousand years old. It was just amazing. And the, the ladies there said, oh, you see the, the, the tree out the front there? And they pointed out the front, and there was this beautiful, like a, a acorn tree of some, something similar. A- anyway, and they said uh, that was actually planted by Joseph of Arimathea. Right. And and my mind started spinning. Going, and they said, "Oh no, no, he walked here." You know, right. like, a, a, and I, I'm sort of, and all of a sudden I'm thinking that, that there's so much intermingling of this. Um, folklore and you know and 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 if you go back to two thousand years you can't can't go well where's it documented where's the proof it's sort of like i've just got to okay and it's sort of like it did my head in a little bit you know yeah they weren't good at writing things down in england the, it, all the druid stuff isn't written down at mm-hmm. all so yeah there's a big um resurgence of uh, druidry around the world People are, from, from what, what I'm sort of understanding, there's quite a bit of, especially since the advent of the, or with the internet in the last quarter of a century, people are not having to find obscure books in libraries on such things anymore. There's actually active organisations that people now with, um, well, our modern methods of communication can almost be doing ritual online via Zoom. There's a woman in the Blue Mountains who's written a book about Australian Druidry. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the book, but, I mean, she'd be worth finding, I think. we should get her on the show. Yeah, she'll get her on the show, yeah. And the problem, of course, with Druidry is it's, um, it's uh, the seasons are based on the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, right, mm. yep. And I think what she's done is turned it around and... Uh, okay. Anyway, 
Should get her on the show. Yeah, excellent. All right, let, let's um, from your site. I was, I was just having a look at the the site b- b- before we got together. You mentioned. I, I hope you don't mind me paraphrasing here. Is but uh, my words are seldom delicate. Ran Wittishins in his brain. There's no Wittishins here. Wrapped up in Earth's diurnal course. There's no diurnals here. <laughs> Um, well, I, I suppose I was trying to say that what, I, what I've written in, 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 my, um, in my poems is just um, plain English. And um, I think in my classes I, I try and, and encourage people to write um, unpretentious, use a simpler word instead of a big word. Mm-hmm. One of my writing heroes is John Fante. And he's... And, and you can read ten pages of his... And you think you've read two or something. It's it's just easy to read, good storytelling. And so I think what I was trying to say there, you know, that's Wordsworth wrapped up in Earth's diurnal course with rocks and stones and trees and the word diurnal is what you remember from the poem. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's pop on to our next tune. Oh, you, you've chosen uh, Mule Skinner Blues by The Cramps. I, I, actually, b- before we go there, um, well, actually, let's do Mule Skinner Blues by The Cramps. What, what, what attracted you to this tune? Well, it was just an old tune that, um, that we all knew and we thought it was a real, um, you know, song sung by yokels or something. It was just, it wasn't a song you'd sing. Mm-hmm. You know, play a song on the guitar. Oh, the mule skin of blues. Oh, no, man, not this. Then suddenly I heard the cramps do it. And I thought, this is fantastic. You have a real alternative bent in your taste, correct? Uh, do I? I don't know. You don't seem to follow real mainstream pop stuff, you know, right from the 60s through, um, like the, with some choices of tunes tonight, there's a, a, quite a, a very, very uh, interesting slant to the versions of songs you like. Like, it, you, it, there seems to be an appreciation of more rawness in delivery. Okay. Yeah? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know this. I'm inside me. Okay. <laughs> it just seems to be the Sounds good to you. Yeah, sounds good and sounds what everyone should be listening to. Let's check out Mule Skinner Blues by The Cramps.
That was Fortune Teller by The Throb. We're with Lowell Tarling. You're listening to The Third Eye. Thanks for joining us tonight. Lowell, The Throb, before we get to the song Black, what are your, th- what are your thoughts? Um, back in the 60s, Australian radio had um, some sort of a delay where the Beatles or the Stones or the overseas bands would put a song out and then it didn't get airplay for possibly two months. So... The Australian, to encourage the homegrown bands, I think. And so people like Doug Parkinson in Focus, the first time I heard Dear Prudence was by Doug Parkinson in Focus. And then everyone would wait until midnight on the day when it was legal to play the Beatles, you know. Wow. And the throb were the same. So this is a Rolling Stones song that was released in England and the throb got right onto it and they were probably newly formed. They didn't last long, but maybe they formed for Fortune Teller. And then um, turned out that they did a better version than the Stones. Yeah, right. So that was their reputation made. And so I really liked them. They dressed in black. They looked, you know, kind of goth. And, and Black, I thought, was a fantastic song. So good that I can play it now to friends of mine, like, you know, Jason Wally from Friends All Rum. Yeah. People like that. And I say, hey, listen to this. This is from the 60s, man. And they sort of go, wow, you know, it hasn't aged a bit. 
Yeah. So. But a slice of Aussie rock history for sure. It is. It's a wonderful song. All right. One of the three yep. favourite bands in the 60s, there was them and the Loved Ones. Oh, man, they were so loud. I saw them one, the like loved back ones. in the 80s. Yeah, like up on the Central Coast and oh, permanent hearing damage, I reckon. Loved Ones. <laughs> yeah. well, they, re- they reformed. Yeah, I think there they were two or three of the original guys. That they must have been in their 60s at the time. I, or saw, I saw that yeah. re- reformed band, yeah. Yeah. The four of the original bands. And the one they couldn't get was the drummer. Right. I think he was in the audience, but he'd been doing other stuff. Yep. And so the drummer you would have seen was the drummer of the Black Shadows. They okay. got him to sit in. And they'd all put on a bit of weight too. <laughs> As we do. Well, it's interesting because this album came out in 66 and that was when I was, when I was born. Goodness me. Thanks for... Uh, like giving this to us, sharing this with us. Um, So let's have a listen to Black, yeah? Yeah. With the 
Here's a quote from Woody Guthrie's Bound for Glory. All of this talking about what's up in the sky or down in hell, for that matter, isn't half as important as what's right here, right now, right in front of your eyes. Things are tough. Folks broke. Kids hungry, sick, everything. And people has got to have more faith in one another, believe in each other. There's a spirit of some kind we've all got that's got to draw us all together. Would you have one wish for the world, Lowell? Um, when I look back on my own life, my, the one thing I really regret is that I never planted enough trees. It's just the thing that's gone wrong in my life. I'm not a horticulturalist or whatever, but I mean, I, I feel I've achieved whatever, whatever goals, whatever happiness, but I never did that. And um, I'm on a committee, the Treeline Lurline Committee, mm -hmm. which is, um, there's a little piece in the Katoomba Gazette this week about a government grant. And um, we've got some great people on that. And uh, we've got a road that goes to the number one tourist destination in New South Wales. And the road is disgraceful. There are more beautiful side streets in Lura than Lurline Street. It doesn't have trees. Yep. The most famous people in the world drive down that road. Not so long ago we had... What's his name? Prince William? Mm -hmm. Mrs. Prince William? Yep. Bob Dylan's gone down there. Yep. Bob Geldof's gone down there. Um, Tarantino. Mm -hmm. it, just all these people. It's like Ayers Rock. Sooner or later everyone goes to see the three sisters. And what do they get? They get a terrible road. So maybe I can atone for my sins by being on this committee and, um, and we get trees down Lurline Street. So where's it up to? Um, well, where looks like we're going to get a grant, mm -hmm. but is this local, state, federal? Um, um, state mm -hmm. and the fed. The feds have looked at it as well. Yep. Maurice Payne's looked looked at it, and um, her husband Stuart Ayres, um, he came and he checked it out. But when, when the money comes through, it will be implemented by the local council. So the money goes to the council and the council then does the work. Okay. So the first thing that's probably going to happen is a sample of what we'd like to see, which is electricity underground and street furniture. And, um, you know, it's quite, quite ambitious. I don't know how much I'm allowed to say even okay. without speaking too, too far ahead of ourselves. Okay. But it sounds like an exciting uh, project. I think so, and I think it'll really benefit the community. Yeah. I mean, at the moment... And the planet. Yeah, at the, at the planet. At the moment, if you walk down there and you're of a certain age, you'd have a heart attack on a hot day. Yeah. And there's nowhere to get drinks. We need street furniture to sit down. We need a lot of things. Yep. Anyway, this poem, it um, sort of expresses those kind of feelings. It's called The Gods. The gods are in their heavens. They don't touch us at all. We've pushed them further and further. Gods die if we don't call. 
We overran them with Jesus, who should not stand alone. What about all of the others who call Valhalla their home? Possess me with your goodness. You are the God of the trees. You are the meaning of nature. You are the one we displease. We're praying one world prayer. Please, please, oh please, possess us with your goodness. You are the God of the trees. The gods are in all nature. Look around and see the moon in its glorious stillness and the sun's sheer potency. Yet we cut down all the great trees, the ancient groves destroyed, but the stones, the silent statues, a witness to the void. Possess me with your goodness. You are the God of the trees. I see the urban jungle. God, whose children are these? There's bankers, teachers, churchmen, still channeling Hercules. Possess us with your goodness. You are the God of the trees. Wow. Thank you so much, Lol. And I want to... Th- a personal thank you on behalf of our listeners as well. Thank you for joining us tonight on The well, Third thanks Eye. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being interested in the music and the poems that and uh, that have interested me. And, and if, if people are, are interested in finding out about more about you and, and things that uh, reading and writing that you're involved with and projects you're involved with, like such as the Lurline Street Trees, how can they get in contact with you? Um, well, I've got a website... Um, I teach, at the moment I teach for this place here, um, I, don't, I don't know if I do because of COVID, but um, the Day-Night College at Katoomba or the Katoomba Community Centre. Yep. And also, again, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's happening, but every second Sunday of the month we have poets in the pub at the Family Hotel and everybody is welcome to come along. And we're just trying to keep it going, you know, just trying to get... An, an audience and physical distancing and all those sorts of things. Um, I think we might get it this month and I'm pretty sure we'll get it in March, certainly once we've got our vaccine. Yep. That's being held up in Europe. But you must be feeling it with your (laughs) gigs too. Yeah, it was uh, our band side, Chirani, we had a a sensational 79 cancellations in a week. Oh. And that was, we were booked out from, um, what was it, about March last year, 2020, through to um, New Year. And it was just like all of a sudden the calendar was just wiped clean. But I, 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 I do feel um, there are other sides of our art and, and our creative uh, efforts, like our, our teaching business, we're able to, music teaching, we're able to switch to Zoom and there were alternative methods. So I think there are other people out there who sort of did it a lot harder. You know, we were able to at least have some, you know, keep some food on the table and keep some of the bills paid to the best of our ability. But I really feel for some people out there and, and those who lost loved ones, you know. It's mm. um, absolutely crazy world out there at the moment. Well, Tiny Tim's cousin, who was so helpful with my book, he died of COVID. Mm. Wow. It's About just seven or eight months ago. Yep. 
He was the elderly, of course, but that doesn't make it better. No, no. Well, I'm going to thank you for coming in, Lowell, and I hope you come back and join us again on The Third Eye soon. And what I'm going to do, I'm just, um, while I let Lowell out, we're going to have a listen to a song by a local lady who plays shakuhachi, their Japanese wood flute, and her name's Bronwyn Kirkpatrick. And as a, a symbolic of hope, this song is called, or this piece is called, Dawn. I hope you enjoy it.
Alrighty, that was Bronwyn Kirkpatrick, local artist on the Shakuhachi with Dawn. I'd like to say a shout out and a thanks to all our listeners around the globe and especially to a special friend of ours, Scott Leslie in Brisbane at the moment. It's good to speak to you today, mate. Alrighty, it's tarot time. So the tarot itself can be divided up the minor arcana or the, what we call the pip cards, like not the court cards or the major arcana. They can be divided up into decans and decans were, uh, the Egyptians believed were little 10 degree slices of each year. Now, we're sort of moving uh, on, on the cusp between decans at the moment here on the 30th of uh, January. But we're in Aquarius and the corresponding card this week or in this 10-day period is the Six of Swords. Now, the guide to the general meaning of this card is listening to the inner voice. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with the tarot, it's actually a picture of a cloaked woman. You can't see her face. And she's with a child sitting in a boat on a wooden seat. And there is a, uh, a ferryman with a long pole and he's guiding the boat across a stretch of water closer to us and uh, where the boat's heading away from is unsettled water and where the boat is heading is very flat and calm waters. Poking out of the boat are six swords which in the tarot often can be can mean thought conflict, more academic or mental kind of issues. So this card and heading across the, to the other side could be seen symbolically as across the river Styx for those who are into that mythos. But the card itself can can mean listening to your inner voice. The Six of Swords represents a time of transition. A time when we need to pull back from life temporarily in order to get a better get to a better place and or perspective inside ourselves and outside in the world. At these times, we may experience a drop in self-esteem as it is difficult living in the world today whilst being unclear about what we are doing. As a result, we may doubt ourselves, forget any successes we may have had previously and fear we will stay stuck in this transitional phase However, in a reading, a tarot reading, whenever this card 
always promises a better future. That's the calm waters. If we can be patient and have faith and see it through. This card essentially reminds us of the otherness of life. Whilst the busy rush of plans are being implemented in the heady whirlwind of life out there, there is a whole other life going on inside us. When we face traumas or breakdowns in life, we're reminded of this otherness. Yet the Six of Swords does not require us to have a breakdown in order to receive its wisdom. We simply need to hear and follow the inner call and pay more attention to our spiritual natures. In doing so, we may begin to understand the wisdom underlying change and the transient nature of life. Within this understanding, we can also realize how so much of what we do is unimportant. Whilst in contrast to our spiritual nature, reveals its true value, moving us forward and keeping us safe. Our piece today is from an upcoming album I'll be releasing. It's called The Ace of Swords. Earthly Delights on 89.1 FM celebrates adventurous listening across diverse genres with conversations about arts, community and current affairs. It's easy to tune in by streaming live from rbm.org.au. Yeah, hi there. Storytelling has played a vital role for generations and helps us understand about the past, present and future. 
Stories Around the World show is hosted by Lisa and Fran and is inspired by this tradition. Listen to real stories from their guests about travelling, migrating or living in another country, their experiences and their interpretations. Enjoy music, stories and travel tips from around the world. That's Stories Around the World, Mondays at 7pm on 89.1 FM. You're listening to The Third Eye. This is Elliot Reynolds. Thanks for joining us tonight. In the final stretch of the show, I'm going to share with you a little piece I wrote called Moving On. Corresponds to the, the death card in the tarot.
that was moving on and we'll be putting together the third eye special compilation album with the theme and bits of sharing bits of music that we've played on the show that are locally homegrown and uh, that should be out shortly and i'll keep you posted as we um as we get there now Next week, we've got um, Anthony Shane. We're going to be, he's prepared a, uh, a highly successful show called Just Be Yourself. It's a fantastic show, and I'm going to share with you some highlights from that next week. So really, really looking forward to that, Anthony Shane. And here we go. So till next week, I'm Elliot Reynolds, and you're listening to The Third Eye. Thank you so much for joining us. It's really, really appreciated. If you would like to contact us and you've got any, um, you'd like to come on the program or you've got any suggestions or constructive feedback, we always love that, is um, please uh, contact us, the third eye show at gmail.com. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great week. And I look forward to seeing you next week around my solar anniversary. Have a good one. Ciao for now.